few weeks ago, we started a series in Ephesians, and um, just a, an incredible letter that Paul wrote to this church in Ephesus, and today we're going we're gonna to continue through that. But first of all, I want to invite you guys into a simple prayer, or I don't, know what it, I don't know how we would word this, but a simple prayer, a response, or whatever, just to prepare our hearts. And each week we're going to be doing this together, so, um, and this simple um, request of God is this, as it comes on the screen, says this, God, what do you want to say to me through your Holy Spirit this morning. And I pray that you would have an open heart, uh, that you would have an open spirit, and that you would just simply present this request before God, asking God to reveal to you, what is it that God wants to say specifically to you? The message that God has prepared specifically for you here this morning. We come in in all different walks of life. We come in with all kinds of different burdens. We come in with all kinds of different thoughts, things that's happened to us in our world uh, to, you know, this past week. Um, and, and it's, you know, but God is such an incredible God that he has a message specifically for you. And so I pray that you would lean into it. I pray that you would receive what God wants to give you here this morning, not elbow someone else and say, hey, did you hear that? That's a good one for you right there, Right. No, it's, it's you. What, what, what do you want to say to me, God? What do you want to say to me through the power of your Holy Spirit? So I pray that you would just do that um, and, and open up your hearts and your minds. This morning we're going to take a look at chapter 2 uh, in Ephesians. But essentially what we're going to be talking about is what we call this uniquely unified church. Now, now when you really look at that, just tell me, isn't that kind of like a dichotomy? Isn't that kind of like a dichotomy? Isn't that kind of like a paradox? The uniquely unified church. Let's break it down. Uniquely means different. And not just different, but vastly different, right? There's no other, like, we're unique. I'm unique. A snowflake is unique. Like, and I'm talking about the weather snowflake, right? The weather, the snowflakes are unique. There's not one like it, right? There's not another one like it. That's unique. Uniquely unified you see that's kind of hard in our society isn't it right now in the culture we live in to embrace each other's uniqueness okay and and when we look at this that is really the ideal that's the ideal of a church that is the ideal place position of a church right there the a group of people that comes in we are so different. We come in with different walks of life. We come in different backgrounds. We come in with different tastes, preferences, uh, perhaps you know cultures, which I guess I said backgrounds, all kinds of different things. And we come into this place, and we're able to be unified and united under our love of Jesus Christ, and we come together to do one thing, and that's to lift Jesus up and to give Him glory. Uniquely unified. I don't have to stand here and preach to you that you should like the certain music that I like or certain hobbies that I like or dress the way I dress. I know you really want to, but the, the, we, we get off the rails. You know what? You know what's really interesting to me? Not interesting, it's sad. It's very sad. I grew up in, and I'll talk about it for, I grew up in the, the denomination in which this church is affiliated with, United Brethren in Christ. United Brethren Christ um, started way, way back. In fact, we tout that it's the oldest denomination that started in America. That started in America. Not transplanted, but started in America. So back in the 1800s, late 1800s, 
uh, uh, a, a Reformed theologian and a Mennonite came together, talk about uniquely unified, came together and formed this. So, and over in Pennsylvania is where it happened. In Pennsylvania, in that area around Gettysburg, you guys have probably been around Gettysburg in that area, steeped in, in tradition, steeped in history. You got the Civil War. I mean, that's right where my folks live. My dad's a retired pastor now. He, but they lived in that area in which the, the, the South came up, the North clashed. Uh, they, they, there's houses there that still have, that's still standing that literally have bullet holes in them from the Civil War. It is historic. And with that, their churches can be extremely historic. And what I mean by that is tradition. I'm not saying tradition is wrong, but what's really sad, and I had this conversation with my father this past week, you know, he was sharing with me some things, and I said, you know what's really sad is, some of these churches that used to be our flagship churches in our denomination in Pennsylvania are now on the brink of literally dying. I mean, have hardly anybody attends there any longer, and some of these. And they used to be these, these, these alive churches, but now they're just kind of hanging on by a thread, or a lot of people have left, and, and a lot of it has to do with just, just this concept of, we can't, we can't, <laughs> we got to have people exactly like us. Does that make sense? We've got to, you know, and, and so the ideal church really isn't like that. The ideal church comes together under one umbrella, and that's of Jesus Christ. We come together to celebrate him. We come together to lift him up, to bring him glory, acknowledging that without him we have absolutely nothing. That He is our salvation. He is our redemption. He's our justification. All these things we talked about in the previous chapter. That through the work of Jesus, He has radically saved us. We have this sense of grace. And that's where we come in and we become united. We celebrate our uniqueness. We celebrate that we're different. But we unite under Christ. We're not divided over preferences. We're saying it's okay to have different tastes and preferences, but we demonstrate to the world that we have this unity that goes way beyond anything that the world experiences. We go out into our world, and what an ideal church should be is we come in and we're so uniquely unified, but yet we're so diverse and different that when we go into the world, people look at us and they, they see that, man, those people have unity within their church. Those people come together and worship Jesus and they are unified under Christ. That is the ideal church. But what can happen is it doesn't go that way. For many churches, it doesn't go that way. For many churches, they get hung up on affinity versus identity. And what that means is we become, we, become, we celebrate like-mindedness in a sense. Now, I'm not talking about theological, um, you know, I'm not talking about theology and doctrine and things like that. I'm talking about just simple preferences. I'm talking about things that can just divide us, but yet we, you know, a church can come together and we become more about affinity, more about how we're alike in our preferences and things like that versus our identity in Jesus Christ. We become, we start embracing uniformity versus unity. And when that happens, we're in a bad spot. In fact, when we look at chapter 2 of Ephesians, that's what was taking place. If you would turn there with me very, uh, turn there with me very quickly, I'm going I'm to read a few verses to you, 11 through 22. And I want to stay conscientious of our time. 
I've only got about 45 minutes left, so just hang with me, okay? But, but, but what happened? What, now listen, this is the work of Christ. So, the, so the, you know, the, just listen to the words of Paul when he writes this church in Ephesus. He says this, So then remember, chapter 2, verse 11, So then remember that one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those, by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ. Excluded from the from you were excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh he made of no effect the law of consisting of commands and express in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two result from two resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. Verse 17, he came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. You see, this is what God, this is the church. When God calls us, when God reaches out and extends us free gift, this free gift of grace and mercy and salvation, we are the church. It's not a building as we've talked about, but it, we are the church. And we are the handiwork, okay? We are God's handiwork. We are His workmanship. We are His masterpiece. We are to go out into the world, simply put, to go out into the world and showcase who God is. Look what God has done in me. Look what God is doing through me. Look how God has changed me. Look how God has just redirected my thoughts. Look how I, look, I am so much different, but I bring God glory by the way I live, by the way I uh, conduct myself, just who I am. I bring God glory. This is how it was originally developed. God created Adam and Eve for that very purpose. But sin enters into the world and quickly derailed that. So now they no longer have, you know, but that's what the church was supposed to do. That's what Israel was supposed to do. Israel's a nation. As God came to Israel, Israel was supposed to showcase the glory of God to all nations. So that when nations would look at Israel, they would say, that is the nation that's following a powerful God. That nation there has something different. That nation there, the God that they serve, is extremely powerful. And if we ever have to tangle with that nation, we're doomed. In fact, in the Old Testament, we kind of read about that. If you read about the story of Rahab and Jericho, that's kind of what she said. Remember when the spies went in to kind of check out Jericho because they were going to take over Jericho? This, the Rahab, this prostitute, says, man, we know the God that you serve. Your God is incredible. Your God is on fire. And we're fearful because you're going to take over this place. And she said, I will hide you, but you've got to spare my family when you come in and take over. That was Israel. Israel was supposed to showcase God's glory. And throughout the New Testament, Paul writes and talks about how at times that's not what took place. They fell to idolatry. They fell to all kinds of other things, not being the showcase of God's glory or the product in which God wants all to see. But when we look at the church, the, His people coming together 
his people coming together and forming the church, we see a powerful organism. When we see his people coming together and forming the church, there is a powerful organism that takes place, but it was a mess at first. If we would just look at um, verses 11 through 13 where he talked, he said, you know, Paul's talking, he said, man, you guys were Gentiles at one time. You had no hope. There was a difference. The difference was, if you weren't a Jew, you were a Gentile. Simply put. And if you were a Gentile, you were apart from God. You didn't have God as your God. God didn't come to the Gentile people. He came to the Jews. And so they viewed these Gentiles as lesser people. Anybody who wasn't a Jew were lesser people. There was a division. They called them, you know, they had the circumcision and the uncircumcised. That was their tradition. That was their law. That was their custom. And so that's how they would, that's how they kind of recognized me. These people are kind of pagan over here. We're not. We're God's chosen people. We're God's chosen, you know, uh, uh, individuals. But there was a division. And Paul says, God, through Jesus with the Messiah came, and now you are part of that. We're all one now. God broke away. God destroyed that division. Uh, there's no longer Jew-Gentile. There's no longer the circumcised, uncircumcised. There's this everyone's together that, have, that believes and trusts and, and has faith uh, in God. So, the, so, so when initially, this, the, the church, or now the church can be so powerful as we unify and come together, even in our uniqueness. But at first, it wasn't like that. In fact... If we would go to the book of Acts, and this is, we're going to kind of take off here in just a second, because when, when we see the Holy Spirit come onto the scene, that's when things drastically change. But it's quite interesting when the Holy Spirit comes and we start reading about Acts and all the things they're doing, the disciples, but in that time, they had the power of the Holy Spirit doing all kinds of different things and, and just bringing God glory. Churches begin to form. Churches begin to form. The wall had been stripped away. There was no more division. Gentiles were becoming saved. They were becoming saved. They were accepting this free gift of grace and salvation. These people that weren't Jews. These people that were not the sons of Abraham. These people that were considered the uncircumcised. All this stuff, They started to become saved and have salvation and become part of the bigger community of the church of God's family. Acts 15. Guess what we read about? The first... Church conflict, essentially. The first church conflict. And you know what it was over? What do we do with these Gentiles that just became saved? What do you mean, what do we do with them? Well, they're not like us. We're circumcised, they're not. Now, I don't want to go down that path. But if you have an idea of what I'm talking about, you're, start, you're going to lob that one out there to adults and saying, hey, if you want to become part of this, you've got to go through our customs. Talk about bad evangelism or outreach, right? What do we do with them? They're different. These people are different. They don't have the law. They're not part of Moses. They're not part of Abraham. They're not, part, they're not, who, they're not Jewish. What do we do with them? In fact, when we look in, in, in Acts, in that, in that uh, chapter 15, and I'm just going to go through it really quickly here, what took place was these Gentiles were becoming saved, and some of these guys said, whoa, 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 what's going on? Someone would say this, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you can't be saved. There's no way you can be saved. Paul and Barnabas rise up to the occasion and say, wait a second, you're off the rails, man. You are off the rails. We are, 
That's not the way it is. And so the Jerusalem Council came together. The church came together. And they started talking about this. They sat down and they talked about it. They, they spent some time talking about what do we do with these Gentiles? What do we do with these people that are not like us? Are they really becoming saved? Has God extended this grace and salvation to them as well? And they said, yes, they have. He has. God has reached these people. God is extending His grace and salvation to all peoples now. They're being saved. They're like us. And they said, we can't get in the way of this. This is a thing of God. And so this council, the church at Jerusalem, Jerusalem council, comes together and they send a letter to the Gentiles. And this is what they tell them. They say this, Because we have heard that some without our authorization went out from us and troubled you with their words and unsettled your hearts, we have unanimously decided to select men and send them to you along with our dearly loved Barnabas and Paul who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who will personally report the same things by the word of mouth. For it is with the Holy Spirit's decision and ours to put no greater burden on you than these necessary things. Here they are. Abstain from food offered to idols. uh, Abstain from blood, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. That's all they say. And they say this. You will do well. If you keep yourselves from these things, farewell. I love it. You don't have to go through these customs that we went through. These traditions that are ours, those those don't even really apply per se now. God has radically saved you. God has radically extended this gift of salvation into your lives. Here's a thought. Here's what we're going to do. Just stay away from idols. And you know why they said this? This is very interesting. They tell them. This is the only thing they tell them. Stay away from food. It has to do with idols. And their tradition of blood and the meat, okay? That was absolutely taboo for a Jew to, to, to deal with blood in the meat and around blood it would defile them, right? From their tradition. But they say this, abstain from food that's offered to idols, from blood, from eating anything that's been strangled, and from sexual immorality. Those first three, you know why they wrote the first three? Because these Gentiles were going back into areas where there were Jews that were Christians and they wanted to ensure that there wasn't conflict. And they just said, kind of like, hey, stay away from these things because it's going to cause division between you and the Jews. So really, it comes down to them just saying, stay away from those things because we want unity here and stay clear of sexual immorality. That was it. What? It's just incredible to me. That, you know, cleaning it up. So something changed within this church. Something changed to where they didn't look at people like, you know, you're an outsider, you're an outcast, and all these other things. But what changed? What changed was they had this complete understanding of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had literally just revolutionized their lives. They, they, they recognized the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and they began to truly understand their unity and identity in Jesus Christ. By the way, that is the one thing that if Satan can get us deceived on or confused, this whole concept of our identity in Christ, he's got us. There is so much power that we have in our our unity and identity in Jesus Christ. These disciples, now think about it, all these disciples except for two, except for two, Judas and John, John would... uh, the rest of them would die a martyr's death. 
John would be exiled to Patmos and he would write Revelation and some of those other things. But he, he was exiled to the island of Patmos where he would d- die a natural death. Judas, we read, hung himself uh, just from what, what he did through the whole uh, betrayal of Jesus. But the rest of the disciples, except for like Peter, I think, the rest of them, when he was going through the whole crucifixion, they just like disappeared, man. They were scared. They didn't know what to do. So they were kind of scared. They kind of disappeared. Now these guys are absolutely on fire and would die a martyr's death for Jesus Christ. What happened? What happened that these guys would literally go from being absolutely scared to death about sharing their faith or being associated with Christ, with Jesus, to now they're out preaching the gospel, they're out sharing about what God has done, putting their lives on the line and would eventually die a martyr's death. The Holy Spirit's what happened to them. The Holy Spirit descended at Pentecost, and these guys became alive and on fire. So, real quick, and I had these up here. We're gonna, we were going to do something a little bit different, but for the for the sake of time, I don't. I, I want to just kind of keep things moving here. But let's look at the twenty first century church real quick. Just real quick, the twenty first century church. What does it look like? Do we truly understand the power of the Holy Spirit? Do we truly understand our, our unity and identity in Jesus Christ? Because it is my sneaking suspicion that even in the 21st century, even, you know, what, 2,000 or so years later, we struggle with building walls. Would you agree with that? Would you agree that the church at times struggles with building walls? And I'm going to ask you to participate a little bit. What do you think some of those, what do you think makes up those those walls from outsiders. You know what I'm saying? What do you think divides the church from people? Can you throw out a couple things? What's that? Hypocrisy? Okay. What else? Now picture on these boxes the word hypocrisy. Okay. I'm just going to continue moving forward. What else? What else? Rules? Rules and regulation. The same thing, the same thing that the early church suffered from back in this day. The same thing before Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. The same thing, rules and regulations. What you had was you had the the you had the division or the wrestling with orthopraxy versus orthodoxy. Orthopraxy says this. We need to stay very, very ethically and aligned with our tradition and our rituals. Now, there's nothing wrong with staying ethically aligned with our traditions and rituals as long as they're true. The problem is we get off the rails at times because our traditions, our rules, our rituals, our customs becomes things that are not rooted in doctrine or in correct theology. Orthodoxy. Orthodoxy says that our rituals and our customs and our traditions are driven by true doctrine. So what are some of those rules and regulations that begins to form walls between us and people that truly need to hear about Jesus? Could we say racism? We struggle with that. Now, when I say we, I'm not browbeating anybody here. But would you say our world struggles with racism? Would you say we struggle with 
you know, segregating ourselves from other individuals at times that aren't like us? Would you say that politics divides us at times? You guys are getting uncomfortable, aren't you? If you don't agree with my politics, I'm going to cut you loose, right? Because you're wrong. And it divides us. It builds a wall in what we're supposed to be unified over. And so what happens is, we, have these, we begin to have these customs that we put in place, these rules, these regulations, our preferences. Our preferences. If you don't dress the way we dress, if you don't like the same type of music and stuff like that, yes, 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 we're going to divide over that. We're, you, know, it's, it's, you know, it's wrong. And so what we do is we build up walls. We just build up walls. And we say, well, we've got the true, you know, we've got the answer. Now, just picture this wall. This is a big wall, okay? It goes across the stage. And we keep people out. That's what we do. We keep people out. I'm not preaching where we all have to align like in universalism or anything like that. I'm preaching what I believe is the truth in the Bible. That, again, we are united under Jesus Christ. Tell me how dress should separate us. Tell me how our, our, whatever it is that we may do in church, our customs, our regulations, tell me how some of those things should divide us. Tell me, if you would, how some of these things will go as far as not just dividing us, but literally break koinonia. Koinonia, true fellowship. I can't worship with you. Why? Because we have a difference. I don't like the way you do this. I don't, like, and we would not, I don't know if we would ever get to that point because I really think at times the reason why we have walls is because we don't understand how to do relationships. I can't come and sit down and talk with you about something. You can't come and talk to me. You can't come and talk to her or him, whatever, if there's something going on. Matthew 18 tells us specifically how to deal with conflict within the church. Perhaps we don't do that because it's not really a conflict. Deep down we know it's just a preference. James tells us what? The reason why you quarrel and bicker? Because you don't get what you want. I wonder how many times we build up walls because these walls is just, I'm not getting what I want, so I'm just going to become selfish and take on the spirit of Satan. Which, I mean, that's what that is, right? Jesus tells us in Luke to deny ourselves. If we're not denying ourselves, picking up our crosses daily and following Him, if we're not denying ourselves, then that means we're catering to ourselves. And that big word, ourselves, really kind of translates down into selfishness. It's about me. I want what I want. And I'm going to tell you something. I will divide from you. I will leave. I will do whatever it is. Because I don't want, I mean, we don't want to be united. It's sad. Now, real quick, I'm done. But this is the fun part, and I'm going to tell you up front, because I don't want to shock and awe you, because we talked about doing this message together, Dan and I. There was a, this is the point where we get to come in and kick the boxes really hard. But I know you guys will freak out, right? <laughs> I'm just going to give them a little shove, okay? Jesus comes in. God comes in and says, 
enough. It's over. It's done. There's no more separation. There's no more division. What are you dividing over? I have made. I'm, it's done. We are one. There's no longer Jew, Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised. You are my children. And there's no division. I don't know about you, but I think that's a church that speaks volumes into the world. As the worship team comes back, uh, we're going to close with one last song. But essentially in verses 19 through 22, Paul lays out this uniquely unified church because this is where the power of Christ comes in and literally has destroyed the wall. Okay? No longer strangers, foreigners. We're all citizens and members of one household. Okay? Uh, we are His holy temple. And we're built together in Christ who is the cornerstone. You want to divide over something? Right there is what you can divide over. Right there is where we can part ways. When we say, well, I don't know, I'm sure if I believe Christ is the cornerstone, right there is where you can say, okay, we need to have it just, you know, I don't know. We don't necessarily have to divide. However, I can't, I can't let this one go. I can't let this one go. In our denomination, one of the things that I do, I'm not a denominational guy, okay? Um, I'm not anti-denomination, but I'm not, a, I'm, not, I'm not standing up here promoting our denomination, nor am I tearing it down. But the, one of the things I really like about our denomination is they say this. We're going to be unified in the things that are non-negotiable. Okay? We're going to unify around the things that are non-negotiable. The negotiables, we can have conversation about. I like that. Because one of the things that we've kind of stressed is this. When you start looking at the non-negotiables and truly looking at the non-negotiables, there's only about a few. What happens is these boxes have become non-negotiables, which is like they're not non-negotiables. This is a non-negotiable. But other things we can negotiate until Jesus returns. Okay? Jesus separated it. But Paul really nails it right here as we close. Paul nails it when he says, um, this is when the church. And the phrase that he uses is, in Him. Remember I talked about um, that we call ourselves Christians? That's used about two or three times within the Scripture. or Something very low. The frequency is extremely low when it uses the term Christians to describe the followers of Jesus Christ. Instead, they use the words, in Christ. That's someone who's following Christ. That's someone who's been saved and it's part of his family. Someone that's in Christ or in him. Over 631 times in the New Testament alone, references to this concept or this variation of in Christ or in him. We just came through chapter 1, and I want you to listen very quickly as I close, and our worship team's going to start. If you want to start, go ahead and start. Chapter 1, verse 4, For He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight, in love. Verse 7, all these are in chapter 1. Verse 7, We have redemption in Him through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. Verse 9, 
He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, that He planned in Him. The second part of verse 10 brings to bring everything together in the Messiah, both things in heaven and things on earth in Him. Verse 11, we have also received an inheritance in Him, predestined according to the purpose of the one who works out everything in agreement with the decision of His will. Verse 13, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in Him, you were also sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, I pray that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Verse 20, He demonstrated this power in the Messiah by raising Him from the dead and seating Him, seating him at the right hand in the heavens. Folks, God's destroyed the division. When I do marriages, one of the things I, we say at the end is, what God has joined together, let man not divide. When we do a marriage and we take it serious, we're asking God to join a woman and a man together. It's, it's, it's in Him. And man should never divide because God's the one. When we live our lives in such a way where we completely trust and surrender Him, man, these things have been destroyed. The wall has been destroyed. We live in Him. In Him. I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey here this morning. I don't know if you struggle with certain divisions, struggle with certain, you know, things that we've talked about here today where you've elevated non-negotiable, non-negotiables to a negotiable level. But I pray today that maybe today's the day that the Holy Spirit might just lean heavily on you and bring things to light that says, you know what, these things over here, they're inconsequential. They don't even make sense. I destroyed those things. I laid waste to those things by the power of the cross. Paul talks about that, I think, in Galatians, where he says he took all those things and nailed them to the cross. Those customs, regulations, traditions, those things have been nailed to the cross. It's in Him now. In Him. I pray that you would just allow God to lean into you through the power of His Holy Spirit here this morning. That Again, that you receive the message that He uniquely has and specifically has had for you here this morning. If you would, would you please stand? Let's close with a word of prayer. We're going we're gonna to sing one last song. If you would like to have a moment of prayer, the elders would love to rally around you and pray. You can even kick some of the boxes out of the way. Maybe you want to come up and lay hands on a box and say, you know what, I'm struggling with this one. I'm struggling with it, and I need prayer. I'm struggling, I need release. I'm struggling. I need to turn my life over. I need to surrender. I need to deny myself. I need to quit struggling or, or, or whatever it is. We'd love to pray with you. Just bow your heads and your hearts with me as I lead us into one last word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for your, your word here this morning, this encouraging word that says there's no longer a division. There's no longer a wall. Man, there's no longer a wall between us and you, let alone between us and all these other non-negotiable things that we often elevate to a, to a, a non-negotiable level. Father, I pray that you would just illuminate those things in our lives where we're holding on to stuff that's just, it, it doesn't make sense and it's hurting us. That we're, we're deceived. We're not, we're not unified. We're not in unity. We're not the ideal church. We're not your, 
we're not operating in, in your household the way you would have us to operate. Would you help us to turn those over to you through the power of the Holy Spirit? May we come to real grips with those things here this morning and be humble and contrite and have the courage to say, I'm wrong and I need forgiveness. And I pray that your spirit would just flood and overwhelm us right now. Encouraging, convicting, admonishing, uh, just leading us into new directions, whatever. I just pray your spirit would just have freedom right now this morning as we pray. And I pray that we would just close our time out here this morning responding to you the way that you would desire for us to respond and ultimately bringing you glory. And it's in your name we pray these things. Amen.